everybody to episode 009 of the Core 4 Podcast. It's April 11th, 2019. We have an off day tonight, Thursday night. We're back tomorrow against the White Sox. I think we got three games and then another day off, and then we get a nice little homestand coming up in which we feature a series against the Boston Red Sox and some other formidable opponents, some other not so formidable. But in the meantime, uh... We endured some pretty tough baseball by the New York Yankees, I will admit. We, uh, we swept the Baltimore Orioles in Baltimore at Camden Yards, which was, um, which was nice. It was fun. We had that seven-homer game. We saw a bunch of, you know, we saw a three-homer game from Gary Sanchez and some fun stuff from Clint Frazier. And then they went to Houston. And the tune changed a little bit. Minute Maid Park owns the New York Yankees. I think it's safe to say that now. Besides, you know, one late ninth inning home run from Gary Sanchez in 2018, I cannot think of a single favorable memory that I have made watching a baseball game at Minute Maid Park. Not even one. Seriously. Yeah. Like literally besides Ken Giles assaulting himself. And Gary Sanchez right. owning the city of Houston for a brief moment. I, I that place has brought me nothing but misery. I mean, that's yeah, where that the Red Sox peak. advanced to yeah, the World not. Series last year. That is where the New York Yankees season ended in 2017. I, it, that's that where Ming Wong tore his Achilles way back when. All right. Yeah, it's just not fun. It's, yeah, but like, I, I, I think they need to tear it down. How yeah, did that place? I mean, how did that place? Bring avoid, back the Astrodome. How did that place avoid Harvey? Oh, we're gonna. That's have to my cut question. That. Matt Matt Harvey. Well, Matt Harvey, yes. Joe Harvey. They didn't. Joe, well, yeah, no. See that, they, yeah, that, they didn't. They actually didn't. Yeah, he pitched. Joe Harvey pitched really well in his major league debut. He is bringing the vengeance. I think his dad was a little fucking. I don't know. I'll send <laughs> that, that interview. Joe Harvey. Joe Harvey finished what Hurricane Harvey couldn't. But yeah, I mean, speaking of things that just. Couldn't finish the job. Uh, the New York Yankees, what's going on? We've seen for the better part of like six months now that we are, you know, carrying with us the best bullpen ever assembled and this and that. And we have now blown like five games after the sixth inning. Something like that. Three, four every, games every, after the sixth Every inning. game in Houston. Yeah. They had a lead and, that they lost. Except for the last game. And, and yeah. my, my question is like, I don't, I don't have like some profound question. It's just like, what the fuck? Well, Zach Burton's not great. Um, and that's about He's it. He's getting hit hard right now. That's what yeah, it is. I, I like, I don't know. Like, I tweeted, I tweeted like asking, not even saying, but like asking, is this the time to start worrying about Zach Burton? Like, is this a transitional period in his career? And maybe he's like hitting a bump in the road or like, is he actually just, regressing and like regressing from Zach Britton is not bad. Like we, we, there's still a lot of room for regression from, you know, 0.5 ERA Zach Britton, where you can still be a very elite relief pitcher. But I mean, getting lit up, blowing leads, uh, allowing like monstrous doubles to right field people getting around on all your fastballs your sinker's not doing anything you can't get the strike calls on the outside and the you know the low strikes and what's going on what's going on it it feels like a a mechanics thing 
because one of the things you look for when you want to diagnose things like that is, is a consistency when stuff goes wrong. And one thing I noticed is he's missing arm side a lot, which means he's not like opening up and rotating through and his release point is off as a result. That's what happens when he keeps missing off the plate uh, outside to right-handed hitters. I know in that four-pitch walk to Tyler White, every single pitch was off the outside corner and not close. So he's not really right mechanically that way. And then when he overcompensates and, and finally throws a strike, they you know hitters are ready for it because it's already 3-0, um, And part of it's also the sort of struggle that you run into at different points during the baseball season. The batting average on balls in play against him is 400 right now, Um, which he has similar. It will. Yeah, it'll definitely regress to a mean. And also his ground ball rate is about the same. His hard hit rate is about the same. So it's just, you know, the right ones aren't, you you know, when we look at Gary Sanchez, for example, it's sort of like, He has statistically some of the best um, contact based on, you know, exit velocity and launch angle, which is what a lot of people look at. But at the same time, you can look at those things for a pitcher and realize they are getting unlucky just like a hitter can. Mm -hmm. Um, Because even you can smoke a ball and it can be right at somebody. It doesn't matter. And you can dribble it. And if nobody's there to field it, it's a hit. And we saw that with Adam Adafino. Very unfortunately and very unluckily where Carlos Correa quite essentially or quite effectively hit a swinging bunt that Greg Bird and Adam Adovino got a lot of flack for. And I, you know, people know I will take every last opportunity that I can get to criticize Greg Bird. There was nothing he could have done there. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have to be Usain Bolt. He like, you know, he's not fast, but like that, that would have had nothing to do with it. Adam Adovino would have had no play on it. Like it was just so perfectly placed that Correa, who is a very hard runner. I'm not saying he's like the fastest guy in the world, but like he understood, like he very quickly recognized the situation said, well, shit, no one's getting to this. So I'm going to run the first because I'll probably be safe. And what do you know? He was safe. It allowed a run. That's why people hated it. If it was a meaningless thing, it would have been no problem. It was just like, Oh, that's a tough play. It happens. But because it allowed a run and because there was already a man on third, people lost their minds. I understand it was frustrating, but it was just an unlucky play. It's baseball. Yeah, I mean, stuff like that happens. It's it's one of those games <clears throat> where you kind of have to shrug. I mean, the problem with that with that was they let the worst players on the team get the best of them in that in that game. I mean, Robinson Chirinos and Tyler White aren't the guys that you should be giving up monumentally game-changing hits or walks to. I mean, Britain four pitch walk to white and then gave up the double to Chirinos who's, you know, Chirinos is well known for not being a hitter. Mm-hmm. Like that's just not where he makes his money. He's, you know, he, his best offensive season was two fifty five in 2017. Like Salvador Perez. <laughs> no, that's a little bit now. That's a little that too, was too nice for Salvador Perez. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was interesting because, in Baltimore, they um, seemed to be consistently hitting the ball and the pitching was a little more inconsistent, but they were able to out hit the pitching. And then, except for, the, of course, the last game when they scored 15 runs and it was never close. But um, in Houston, it felt more like the pitching was 
just giving them extra outs and extra opportunities. Like, well, like the Astros, it seemed whenever they had somebody in scoring position, they were capitalizing in ways that the Yankees were also capitalizing. They just weren't getting as many people on base. And that's what happens when you face guys like Verlander and Cole and McHugh pitched well too. But those two specifically are what yeah. people get scared of when they face the Astros is Verlander and Gary Cole. Yeah. And I understand yeah. Colin McHugh is a good pitcher, but like he's not the one that should be overpowering you for six innings. But he was. I mean, yeah, that's but he was. And then, you know, it happens. Like sometimes you, you have bad days, especially ball. coming off two games against Verlander and Cole. Like, you know, maybe your back gets a little bit cold because, you, you know, You're those are very good pitchers. They're intimidating yeah. pitchers. But like, you know, I don't know. I mean, when you score three off Verlander and you score three off Garrett Cole, you almost have to you have to know that that's pretty rare. You know, you like that's like not something games. It's not something that you get to do very often. If you score three off of, you know, Dylan Bundy or something, you know, a, a guy that you come in expecting to beat up, that's sort of almost like a letdown if you only score three. But, but yeah. those two are, you know, top guys in the American League. You got to be able to, you know, keep passing the baton in terms of pitching so that you can get to out number 27. And shake hands at the end of the day. And that's which, the thing that really made me mad about the whole, the first two games, especially, is that they scored the first run against both of them. Yeah. They scored the first, they had a lead. Like, granted, it was early that they had the lead, but they scored the first run against Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander, which is not often. It's not often they score any runs against either of them. But the first run, nonetheless, and even in, I think, Garrett Cole's case, they scored three. Too. Yeah, they were, they were early. They scored early. Yeah, first, was the first. And they yeah. were enough, considering the pitching you had, like, Tanaka pitched Almost. very well fundamental errors i mean like that was a big issue this entire like um um series they just made so like many like errors it's it, it, i don't know it's just aggravating like it, it is uh, aggravating but at the same time like team. yeah they, you are a professional team and it, it's it's really just frustrating to watch a team make fundamental errors because you think like you are a professional baseball player you've been playing this game for 20 years almost and like you, you just think like how these are so like they're so simple, but like at the same time, there are some very, very integral parts of our lineup that are missing who would, in many cases, not make these fundamental errors. Like Aaron Hicks. Like Aaron Hicks and even Giancarlo Stanton, who I mean, at least to my knowledge, is a better fielder than Clint Frazier. And I think also, anyone is. And, you know, having Glaber Torres at second instead of Tyler Wade you know, given that Andujar is playing third better. or something, is like it's 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 unfathomable, it's and especially like at the plate, like we're giving these guys three, four pitch strikeouts on a regular basis because you know we have Austin Romine, Greg Bird, and Tyler Wade all hitting back to back to back. Yeah, it, like I mean, I'm, like come ideal. on, like and I hear all these things. AL pitchers are you know considerably better than their NL NL contemporaries because they have to face face a DH. Oh my God. I would rather be facing Tyler Wade, Greg Bird, and Austin Romine than I would fucking Jacob DeGrom in a lineup. Like, honestly, you could put me a lineup of, of nine NL pitchers and then put me a lineup of three times Bird, Romine, and Tyler Wade, and I'm taking that one every time. Speaking of um, pitchers, um, how about um, Paxton? He did not look um, good at all. Like... 
like bad like he, bad he, he did he, he looked a little flat it didn't look his, his stuff, stuff was, was flat, there he wasn't exactly. he wasn't he commanding okay he wasn't you know he wasn't commanding he wasn't controlling he wasn't locating very well um i mean i i, I don't know i was just kind of uh, my my critical lens of the game kind of drifted in and out for a little bit once i saw that we started losing the lead and i got a little bit discouraged and i was annoyed and i started watching the game a little bit more uh a little bit more casually but i don't know like he did look flat the whole pitch count thing was certainly not ideal especially considering we weren't facing their lineup that had alex bregman and you know some of yeah. the hitters they 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 essentially trotted out the same type of lineup that we did last night with exception you know a couple exceptions but the thing that stands out the most to me was he threw 91 pitches and got seven swings and misses that's unbelievable that's Only very seven. bad that's um, so so you kind of wonder whether he's he tipping or whether exactly. he's Oh, you know, well, uh, there's something that's sort of a, a body language thing, a mechanical thing that's just giving away a sort of advantage just because um, he's he's better than seven swings and misses. I mean, like, it was a windy night. And I mean, I'm sure that like has some impact on the way like your um, I'm on your um, pitches and all that. But still, I mean, that's not an excuse. It's just you see, so the thing also about Paxton is that it's kind of known that his four seamer is pretty straight and that he makes up for it with velocity and some spin. But um, if he's not locating it well, it's, you know, it's not going to go well for him. It's just yeah. it's very difficult to he was a little bit all over the place. And I think he pitched behind more often than he should have been. Yeah, I think. Um, there's a lot of pitches. I'm looking at his, his, the chart right now where he was well off the plate on both sides and up and down. And it was sort of I mean, part of it might have been he's not really familiar with working with Romine. I That's, really don't oh, know. Man, that was my thing. I, I tweeted that literally I would bet just about anything that this kind of, you know, bad outing would not have happened if Gary Sanchez was behind the plate. And I think last night and the night before and the 2019 season and its short life so far have proved to me that Austin Romine should never catch another game for the New York Yankees. He's not I good. I don't care who's dead. I don't care who's hurt. I don't care who's on an off day. I would literally rather have emergency catcher Greg Bird behind the plate or, you know, former emergency catcher Ronald Torres behind the plate. Yeah. Luke Voigt came up as a catcher. Throw his ass behind the plate before you throw Austin fucking Romine and his stupid fucking birthmark on his face behind the plate again i hate him i hate him so much i'm done it's just he's not the kind of uh i don't know the where this myth came from about him like he's got this this aura of 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 like gold glove elite defender and decent enough hitter that people actually convince themselves that he would be a better starting catcher than, um, than Gary, which is just, well, I don't it's, know. It's, it's easy and especially in an 162 game season when Gary Sanchez is batting 100, 180, it's easy for like to tell yourself when you're surrounded by it every day that Gary stinks and this guy's better because he had two weeks where he hit 300 and, and he, you know, poked out a couple home runs and maybe he didn't allow so many pass balls, but good God, this guy stinks. 
this guy stink. He's talking about, oh yeah, you know, I'm probably gonna leave and uh, you know, go sign with another team in the off season. Are you kidding me? Honestly, good for you if you do. Like, go dupe some other fucking team out of their money and out of their time. But not the New York Yankees. The New York Yankees are too proud of a franchise to to fool themselves with this bullshit anymore. All right. Especially when when I have people on my timeline parading around saying that he's better than Gary Sanchez, which is just absolutely not true. There hasn't been a catcher in the MLB in the past 10 years that's been better than Gary Sanchez. Probably since Mike Piazza retired. I can't think of her. Or Jorge, uh, Jorge Posada that's, that's been better than Gary Sanchez. Like, give me a fucking break, Austin Romine. Uh, but uh, the past balls and uh, he can't frame a fucking picture. All right. That's the first thing. He can't catch a cold, it seems, this year. Oh, my God. I'm done with him. I'm done with him. The four pitch strikeouts and this and done. I think he has. Yeah. Um, it's a weird, a weird double standard that's applied to him because Gary has looked more than solid behind the plate. His blocking is clearly improved. He does not have a pass ball charge to him yet. Um, hands, I think. Um, what? Romine's like either got three or four. I mean, there's been a couple. There was a, there's been a couple wild pitches, things that have been classified as wild pitches. It's kind of hard. It's one of those stats and numbers that are very, very um, subjective. You can't really judge it off of that. It, it's a, it's a, that's one of the things that it's an eye test thing. You can tell when a pitcher really spikes one, and a catcher has to, you know, they have to make a ridiculous play to actually get some you know body or glove on it to keep it from going to the screen but there's some that are charged as wild pitches that a catcher should block and then there's obviously the ones that are past balls are obviously catchable um yeah. and most scorers if it hits the dirt at all it's going to be an automatically a wild pitch um but yeah they they're, the the hope is that you don't have Romine catching as much except for like day game after a night game kind of stuff or Did like bird. Oh, hopefully. I mean, uh, the thing is part of, part of the reason I think that we're talking about Romine this much right now for a total sake of transparency is that, um, we're keeping, at least I am keeping an eye on the, uh, rail riders game because, uh, Kyle Higashioka was starting, uh, behind the plate and was taken out after two at bats, three innings, um, which either means he's hurt or there's an injury at the big league level. And, um, Higashioka has to come, uh, play for the Yankees, obviously, uh, tomorrow in, be in uniform. They're uh, in Scranton. So it's it, not like oh, he's far away. If that's the What's case, that? we're fucked. I'm sorry. If yeah, that's all, the case. all I could do is just just exhale and yeah, <laughs> deal with the, the circus that is Yankees baseball. I don't understand really. all these injuries. I mean, and it's I I don't know. I mean, it, a lot of it. I don't know. He hopefully Gary Sanchez, everyone's okay. I'll just say that before. Yeah, like, Gary Sanchez DH the second game of the series and then sat fully, but told press before the game that he could pinch hit or enter late for any reason. Uh, did pinch hit. Uh, had like an eight pitch at bat struck out against Ryan Presley. Um, didn't play the field, but that sort of that was wasn't a given anyway. Um, no, that was- so with the off day, you kind of wonder whether his calf tightened up or whether something happened. I mean, the Rail Raiders had to give up their DH to take Higgy out of the game. So either he's hurt or he's coming up. There's no in between. Yeah, because um, yeah, that's not that's not just like a normal personnel. 
when you when no, you, you don't do that DH, in the like third maybe inning. If they're, maybe if they're up seven runs, I like I get it, but like losing the DH, mm, not in the third inning, no, no. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. I don't. I know it's easy to immediately think that Gary Sanchez, especially, did just sit, but given the. I know that there's been issues with transparency with the Yankees related to injuries and what certain things can mean, but I think it can be hazardous to jump to the conclusion that something is definitively wrong with Gary Sanchez just because, you know, a triple A catcher came out of the game because Kyle Higashioka could be hurt. He yeah. could have taken a foul tip off his finger, off his leg, off, you know, off the mask. His back could have tightened up. There's a whole bunch of different stuff that can happen to any, you know, Major League Baseball player, not just not just catchers, even though they end up at a higher risk, in my opinion, of, uh, you know, tightening up different stuff just because they're so involved in every single play. And there's and also such a risk be- of getting hit with a foul ball or just, you know, we saw with Gary, he got. <laughs> You know. Yeah, he got smoked in the balls the other night. All right, all right. This is a family platform. I was going to allude to it without actually saying it. You know, you're not wrong. Well, well, you didn't have to say it. Well, we don't. We yeah, don't have to be Michael K and and allude to things and then just get them totally wrong. Oh my god! Yeah. Actually, while we're here, I don't mean to completely interrupt, but since we're recapping the two series, can we talk for a minute. I think they mentioned it on the Michael K show today, but for like a stretch of 10, 15 minutes last night, Michael K seemed legitimately drunk on the air like he yeah, said they, they talked in, the, about in, it. in like the eighth or ninth inning of the astros game he was like uh, you know oh, and the uh the indians Italian insurance run the who who gets an insurance <laughs> run the I mean, what <laughs> yeah and he said that the yankees had like it tallied up enough innings when he meant to say that they had tallied up another four runs he said four innings that's like like, I understand maybe you mess up the team. I don't even know how to do that one, but like, I get it. But like, how do you mess up innings and runs? Like, I've, I've seen bad. Like, I listened to John and Susan one day during the 17 playoffs, and John said that, you know, um, that Araldis Chapman was coming in to pitch, but it was really, like, this is when he was on the mound, and it was Dellen Batanzas on the mound. Yeah, but, you know, that's <laughs> you know what right. I, mean, I excuse that because John is old. And can't and see that well anymore. Michael K is, you know, he's he's like what, 55? 60, like, maybe at the most. I, I let me fact check. Michael, if you're a listener of the show, come defend yourself. We'll be happy to have yeah. you on. Yeah, we'll like, have you on. Call in. First time, long time. Um he's 58 for everyone's knowledge. Um one thing you know, you know, speaking of John and Susan and confusing players, um, and relating back to what we were talking about before with narratives and catchers, um, since Austin Romine has had so many pass balls this year, it's completely non-intentional, but I think each time John Sterling has accidentally said Gary Sanchez. Yeah, each time there's been a pass ball by Romine. That's that's awesome. I don't like it's definitely not a malicious thing. It's no, just it's not like it's he's just... used to saying it's past Sanchez, but the problem is he's either on the bench or the DH and he's obviously not not involved at all. Yeah, on that note, just kind of a random question. When do we think I don't want to sound like morbid or anything, but when's John Sterling gonna hang him up? Do you think he rides it out until he, ever, he like really do you think he rides it out until he can't anymore? Like physically yeah, I really cannot so. until they wheel yeah. him out of there or like Yes. 
Because yeah, like, I think he he'll go for a while. Miss the game in like thirty years. Yeah, I mean, he's not like just Vince Scully. Like, gonna yeah, stop. Vince Scully is exactly. I think I mean, ninety-two or ninety-one you don't have now. To do that. He, he retired last year. So yeah, and he's like as ninety-one long as now. Like, I think what's so. about him? He'll be still and there. John Sterling's only what seventy or eighty? No, oh, he's, he's like 80. eighty-four. He's eighty. He's up 80 there for sure. I think he's eighty-four, eighty-five. But no, I think he'll like continue and. 80 even. Yeah, John Sterling oh, turned wow. 80 last July 4th. I remember and celebrating, you, yeah. or not celebrating, but like seeing people you on Twitter celebrate. Yeah, no, I was there. We had the parody and the big speakers. Parody rock was on the speakers. But dude, if you went to a um, John Sterling's 80th birthday party, that would that sounds like it would be crazy. I would. Oh, man. What do you think's there? Who's on the invite list? John Sterling's birthday Susan. party. Who's on the invite list? Do you think they're Susan narrating Walden. the whole thing? Do you think like, you know. <laughs> And they're popping Ooh. another bottle of champagne. Yeah, like, do you think John Sterling goes to do a toast and he's like, and I think she was... Stan, <laughs> stepping up to the microphone. Vlad smoked one other night. I don't know, like, who was on the kitchen, obviously. It was yeah, off Adonis Was it Adams? Okay, no. No, Adams came yeah, out of that, that was... Um, that was something. Whose birthday party on the New York Yankees would you most want to attend? Um... And I'm not saying, like, the, old, the ever classic, like, oh, who would you want to have a beer with? Whose birthday party? Whose party? Stanton, because he's so rich. Yeah, actually, yes. No, it would just be like yeah, the craziest shit because he's got so much money. Yeah, that's a that's a good. I answer. mean, that, would, that I feel like I feel like either of Miguel Andujar or Gleyber Torres would just be fun because yeah. they're like they seem fun. Um, not Austin Roman. No, certainly not Austin Roman. I want to be as far away. Human possible. Do we think that DJ LeMahieu is a partier? Do we think he is like the Alex Bregman LSU God, type no. of kid, or God, is he no. just like the, nah. I go to class, you know, every day, even though I play baseball? No, nah, yeah, you see him a picture at college. Dude, I, I mean, mean he, the guy, like, the guy looked like a little bit of a. He did look like a like a little bit of a nerd, but like he's still a college baseball player. He could have oh, gone. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure he had his fun, but uh, I mean, I he seems a guy. Whatever he like did, he's head down and works. Yeah, he did it right. Whatever Clearly. he did. But yeah. Nick Swisher, I want to go to Nick Swisher's birthday party. He's not on the Yankees now, but like Nick, if you have a birthday come party coming up, you know, yeah, hit us up. We'll come through. Trying to, th- I would, I, I think a Sanchez party would be fun. Like having the whole family there. Like, I feel Didgery. like I don't know why, but that name it just came in my mind. I, I really don't know why. Um. Um, Ron Gidry. I I don't know why. It's that stash. It's just like that. Those Louisiana people. You're gonna have yeah, some like some jambalaya at the function. Exactly. A little southern twang. No, I don't think so either. But I don't know. I feel like a sit. I I want to say I've never seen anybody that Gary Sanchez is related to, but I have an odd feeling that yeah, every single like one of his family people. members look the exact same. If I had to um, pick like anyone in like history of the sport, um, probably um, Doc Gooden. Um, okay, that, probably be you're gonna be going one. to the hospital. I'm talking about or, having a fun time, have a couple. Yeah, who says it's like, like, not fun? I, you I know, mean, pin like the tail on a donkey and have like a bounce house, fun. you know, bounce house and and a couple of barbies. I'm not talking like lines of cocaine on a butcher knife. Like that's what that's, you're gonna get at Doc hey, Gooden's base. That's, 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 that's anybody, uh, anybody on the '86. That entire team ooh, had a massive ooh, cocaine Dykstra. problem. Uh, <laughs> Dykstra. No, Lenny, Lenny <laughs> Dykstra's going to sue us if we say anything about him. Libel. Yeah, he's suing uh, um, Ron Darling. Ron Darling. Chelsea Darling, as he so affectionately <laughs> refers to him on Twitter. David Cohn. 
That's a oh, birthday yeah, party. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, Can oh, we God. also talk about oh, David Carr? David Wells. Uh, oh, well, yeah, the two of them are, are awesome. But David Cohen the other day on Twitter, like in the middle of the night or like early morning, starts <laughs> going off on this like ecstasy ridden thing. And he's talking about like, if you love baseball, you're my family. And yeah, I was, I, I love it. Like, you know, yeah, thank you, David. A, thank you. But like, are you like, what's going on? Yeah. Drunk, David? Probably. We can let the man live. I, I'm gonna let the man live. I mean, he's, he's probably his still book out. is out. So his you book know, is out. Do you want to read that book? I, I do. Jack Kerry co-wrote it, so I don't know. I don't know. But it'll be interesting. Yeah, I yeah, I'll definitely pick it up. Is it like a? Is it like a baseball baseball book, or is it like? It's about him. I don't. Yeah, it's about Cone and. Like his experiences growing up in, um, which should definitely be like, like, not growing up as much as a child, but like how he learned in the game of baseball and how he figured out pitching. Oh, and as a pitcher, and I think uh, there's yeah. a bunch of it as well that has to do with, um, the stuff that he is really into now. He's a very good analytical, model, very much into, um, the advanced statistics, the um, advanced photography stuff that pitchers are doing now. Um, yeah. Which is really a really interesting corner. And, and uh, some of that, you know, his book, I believe it's, it's called full count, the education yeah. of a pitcher. Um, and the Yankees are waiting on, on one of their best pitchers right now. And that's Luis. Severino. <laughs> that was casual. Indeed. Yeah. And it's going to um, be, it's gonna um, be some time. Yeah, um, it, they found he has a lot of actually. So he's being shut down for six weeks, which he puts him on schedule. <laughs> he puts I'm him on schedule cold. to start throwing again late May. I'm gonna so say if you factor <sighs> in about another three ish weeks for him to throwing program um, <laughs> pitch, probably start in short season and go up. You know, start in Tampa, start in Trenton, probably a start with the Rail Riders. All that star break. itself takes two weeks. Yeah, I mean, early June at the earliest, maybe. Yeah, it's I not mean, ideal. It's not I mean, ideal. I guess it's a, it's a it, good it, thing. it really depends on what they end up thinking is a capable plan. You're obviously not going to replace Luis Severino. No, but you can't. I mean, Tanaka has looked fantastic. I, Domingo Herman. Oh, don't even get me started with Domingo Herman. But Masahiro Tanaka, no. I wanted to get to this quick, but Tanaka's performance has not necessarily surprised me, but it's surprised me. Like, I. It has pleasantly, all for like. Uh, wait, what? He what? steps up. It just, like, I don't know. Like, I didn't think he was shocked guy. at all. He's, he's like, a big he game just guy. steps up when it counts, and he knows. He I just mean, doesn't take like, any shit. That's the thing. Yeah. He, like,. I, I don't want to sound like, about a, like a boomer. It's that simple. But like Tanaka is a pitcher. You know what I mean by yes, that? Yes, he is. Yes, I know exactly. No, no, what you're, you no, you, you're valid 100. percent Like I, I, I don't want to sound like one of those old guys. Like oh, you just got a bunch of guys that throw hard. They don't pitch. Like like Tommy Kinley. Yeah, like I I get that sentiment. But like uh, yeah, Masahiro Tanaka is a pitcher. Like he is cerebral. He has a plan. Like we always hear those kind of words, like you know, he's a pitcher with a plan. Like they said that about Jay Happ a lot. They, like Tanaka, I don't know. I, I I marvel watching him pitch because it's just so fascinating how 
like you know he makes mistakes obviously he's not he's not Sion, no, he's but not like perfect, but he's he is a post child for making adjustments and and um adapting his pitching style to what his strengths are and and the same can be said about CC Sabathia who came to the Yankees as a bona fide number 1 and now last year was a completely solid number 5 starter no matter what other people tell you oh you yeah no, i don't listen to cc slander no, no not, not, he's the one guy not tolerated. Really um, for. but like i remember john you and i were talking about this how um when tanaka first came over his fastball was topping out 96 97 in a lot of starts and he really had that extra zip when he needed it and then the ucl thing came up and then it sort of took him a couple of years to adjust to the idea of not throwing that hard all the time and and working around 93 94 even as low as 89 and then just kitchen sink arsenal of slider splitter he added a knuckle curve um sinker the occasional four seam like it, it is absurd how much he has completely changed his arsenal because he came over as a power pitcher and that's what made him so good in, in Japan. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as much as people want to denigrate the Yankees pitching coaches and whatnot, I think that that has also, you know, at this point in the year, four seam fastballs are the third most popular pitch in Tanaka's arsenal. 22.5% of the time. Watching Masahiro Tanaka throw his splitter. He's like a it's surgeon. Oh, when it's all, yes. when it, when that's it's all it's, my favorite thing to do when I watch ridiculous. the Yankees. It just off right off the table. His you could watch like, absolutely disgusting. You could watch a hundred of his strikeouts on a splitter, and it'll all look exactly the same. It's Seriously. down middle, and then it falls off the table to the right every yep. single time, and they fall for it. It's interesting. Like, I know He's that's redundant what I just said, but like it is remark. Like you watch like the little pitch box and. Every time it's right at that bottom, then boom, done. And, oh mm-hmm. my god, it's one of my favorite pitches on this team. I think maybe besides like Adovino's slider and possibly like Chapman's fastball. It's, yeah, when it's Chapman's that. throwing one, when Chapman is throwing like two on like a July afternoon, yeah, and it's you fun just to see, see hitters with absolutely and no then, ability to do anything with slider it. Slider after, oh my god. Oh yeah, he's throwing eighty nine mile an hour sliders. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's, but the thing about about Tanaka also, we've seen it in the second half, is that he he bears down. And the thing is, he, he never is he never seems satisfied, which is which is an interesting thing because he you know he could throw. I know he threw a um, what's called a Maddox, which is a complete game shutout with less than a hundred pitches against I think it might have been Tampa last year or I might be thinking of a game two years ago but um after the game he was like oh you know I missed my spot to these batters I need to throw my splitter better um and you know what I'll work on it and I'll have a better game next time and it's like dude you just like had one of the best games you could possibly have without yeah, throwing a perfect game or no hitter. You threw a game shot less than a hundred pitches. That's how you know the guy just like well, wants to win. He, no, he just he's a competitor and wants to win. That's Absolutely, something special about him. And you see yeah. that like kind of stuff with like Kobe and like those guys. Yeah, yeah, I, I really, yeah he really does have a mama man. They're never love, satisfied I, no matter what. I love Tanaka's post game tweet. 
Yeah. It was a tough <laughs> Those are right yeah. up there with Didi's because number one, they're in a different language. And the translations are half the fun. And Twitter does a horrible job translating. Yeah, like when, is- when Tanaka was congratulating Ichiro on retiring, it was like, oh, when I was first inside of Ichiro. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You were whoa, doing wait, what? Wait a minute. With who, where, when, how? And then, and then it's always accompanied by a picture of him standing outside the dugout with the outfield behind him. Yeah, the thumbs up. Giving the thumbbs up, thumbs up, a little smirk. Yep, a yeah, little and like smirk. that cheeky little grin that Tanaka always has. Arm all man, yeah. I just want to kiss him on the forehead. He's yeah, he's, he's like got a the pure guy. Like he's so pure. Yeah, and he it's it's funny because he uses his his wife is a um a pop singer in Japan, and he uses yeah, and his, his wife's song, latest single as his warm up music every time. I think it's a customs like song actually made. Like, that's yeah, awesome. she might have made a song like for him. him. It's pretty I, badass. Yeah, I think there's she actually, did. There's actually a song that I, I'm pretty sure has like only like 2,000 views on YouTube, but it was, to my knowledge, it's in Spanish, so I had to extract what I could, but to my knowledge, it's written about or for Gary Sanchez. Yeah, he posted it on his Instagram. Yeah, I he think. posted it on his Instagram. It's called... John is the um, John is our designated um, watcher yeah, of Gary Sanchez's yeah. Instagram. In case you really <laughs> didn't see his tweet get a ton of clout the other day, yeah, which I got some it's, shit uh, for from. Yeah, yeah, John was all over that fake news Bleacher Report. But the song is called "Bien" and it's by Ray La Musica y uh, Dario Bonitio, and it just goes off. You know, it's a pretty. Like the beat is very compelling, but like from what I can extract in, into English, it's very remedial it. language. Like it's like, you know, getting money and this, you know, it's like a bad song, but it's such a good song. And it has like the, the music video accompanied by it is like this little kid in the Dominican, like he finds like a shirt on the ground and he picks it up and it just says like number 24 on the back. He runs over to like this sandlot. They call him over to go catch He's got no gear on. He's catching. And then he like hits a home run or some shit. And then it goes to like actual Gary Sanchez highlights. And I'm like, all right, this is epic. And it, it's, it's kind of a banger. It, it like really is a banger. I don't know. Like, am I, am I legally allowed to like, like play it? I, I have no idea, I, but we'll figure that out. But you know what? That's a That's question for, for the, uh, the technical guy. Yeah. You the technical guy? Later. That's why I said he'll deal with it later. Um, <laughs> um and with with Gary Sanchez on the field and performing there's sort of he there were questions about his ability to bounce back and there are there a couple of Yankees been, my opinion, No there shouldn't have been I mean he's his his unbelievably um, talented that's why There's a there's a a fun stat to look at um because it's purely nerd stuff and it makes boomers angry um it's called xwoba which is expected weighted on base average and what that does is it takes um exit velocities and launch angles um and essentially creates a number for quality of contact that judges a hitter based on the ball coming off the bat rather than results and um gary sanchez is Based on him hitting the baseball, like the best hitter in baseball right now. Yeah. Um, uh, he's got the highest percentage of barrels per plate appearance, which is the, the style of swing necessary to hit, um, you know, line drives, homers, doubles. It, it, the leaderboard for barrels is um, 
Gary Sanchez with uh, 22, 22.2% um, of barrels per plate appearance. Then it goes Pete Alonzo with the Mets. I love Pete Alonzo. I'm like not even afraid to admit. Like, he I've just never been a Mets hitter. Actually, too. Did he? I've never been a Mets hater. I've never been a Mets fan. But like my dad and my brother are Mets fans. So I've never like hated them growing up. Like I saw a bunch of Mets games. But like I'm also very partial to first baseman. And when I see a good one, man, like. Where is your I, dad a Mets fan? Yeah, my dad is a Mets I fan. I never knew that. I just always assumed he was a Yankees fan. Yeah, no, it's worth it, noting, I mean, actually. Speaking of, speaking of Pete Alonzo, and that, since I have the StatCast leaderboard pulled up, um, he just hit a uh, home run off of Johnny Venter's Braves. Um, came off the bat at 118.3 miles per hour. Holy which shit. Actually, actually I, dethrones Aaron Judge for the hardest hit baseball of the season. I just said that, but that's all right. It's okay. It's well, he went further into detail. Uh, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, that's fine. Don't worry yeah, about that it. That kid, I think, is the real deal. Like, I don't know. Yeah, he seems to be. They, you know, he it's interesting because, well, yeah, that's what you want to do is obviously hit the ball hard. But, um, yeah, he does his job. Um, I mean, it helps. The thing is, um, the the whole discussion with him about all these prospects, especially like Eloy Jimenez. Here's here's something about this was they were going to send him to Syracuse until about now. Syracuse Mets, their AAA team. Um, yeah. And call him up so that they could, you know, steal the extra year and whatnot. But now that he's off to this ridiculous start, it's sort of like, well, they were stupid for thinking about that. And it's like, no, they weren't. No, they weren't. They look they look good now. But if he sucks next year, guess what they can do for two weeks? Send him down and steal the extra year. That's what ended up happening with Tommy Canely. You know, the Yankees ended up not really losing much by sending him to the minor leagues. And um they do it, you know, they send these guys down to get the extra year because they don't want to be signing them to extensions. And speaking of extensions, Ozzy Albies got less money than Eloy Jimenez got when Eloy Jimenez did not play a single major league inning. And well, Ozzy Albies, let's save that. Let's save that. Let's save, it. let's save that because it's a DM. So let's save all the Albies. Oh, man. It feels like the Yankees have only gotten bad news about injuries, but now it seems like some of those guys are actually making their way back. And that's obviously great news for the Yankees. Um, Giancarlo Stanton, who had the bicep strain, has started to swing a bat. Uh, Aaron Hicks, who had the back issue, has the back issue, back issue. Uh, throwing, running, hitting soft toss, and will be on the field soon in his estimation. Um, CC Sabathia will come back to start the second game of the series against the White Sox. Um, are we yeah, only against the White, Hawks, White Sox? Yes. yes. The White Hawks, yes. Um, White Hawks. Hulk, 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 Hulk. Um, and Miguel Andujar, who has the partially torn labrum in his throwing shoulder, is actually, uh, as of um, yesterday, um, said he felt better than expected after making 25 throws from 60 feet and was supposed to throw again tomorrow and is supposed to um, try to swing a bat tomorrow as well. That's yeah, that's that's exciting. So, it's um, progressed though it's, fast. I mean, that's kind of concerning quickly. also to an extent. Like in my mind, it's a little like concerning that like it's so fast. I don't know. No, I don't think so. I think we either predicted a very like quick recovery recovery, but like turnaround or we were just going to find the huge or he's out for the year. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think if he was out for the year, we'd be. Weren't we they going to say they were going to like keep it like conservative for like a couple weeks? And they're already going to have him like swinging a bat. Well, here's the thing. I think they, they ran him through strength tests. 
and determine that he was actually better off than they might have originally thought. That's what I've been Because even the smallest terror, that's not something you take lightly. So they might have seen that and said, well, oh, shit. We might have something on our hands here. Yeah. And once, well, they, right. know, maybe, once maybe they did some further testing and did PT and things like that. I don't know. I'm not going into the fucking medical. No, process. we're not I don't doctors. Know about it, but like, you know, maybe upon further examination, they said, oh, maybe this isn't as bad as we thought. Like, I'm well, sure he's still hurt. Is, but like, it's the, maybe yeah, it's, it's the maybe thing it's that he might bad. be able to DH. If he can DH, th- here's, here's what I think about it. And, and it's kind of hard because you value Anduhar's bat obviously way more than anything else about his game. But if he can DH and you can fake it with um, LeMahieu somewhere, either at third base or second base, it depends. Um, but, you know, what oh, that I take does... take an instant. Oh, absolutely. Without if a question. I think to get Tyler did. Wade and Greg Bird out of the lineup, quite honestly. Well, the thing about it is Ur- Gio Urshela is a fantastic third base and he can hit a little bit. I mean, he's had good at bats. He's been hitting line drives. I mean, he's not going to be Miguel Andujar hitting close to 300 with 35 bombs power. But like if he can hit 240, you know, batting ninth, that'd be great. And so the idea of Andujar being the DH while we wait for Stanton or, or something like that, because in a perfect world, John Carlos Stanton comes back in like two weeks or something, if not sooner. And then that forces Brett Gardner to the bench. Um, I mean, I, I feel like we're just banging our head against the wall again and again, and again with Brett Gardner. Uh, just, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to, you know, I saw somebody suggest that they just need to start having Frazier left play. No, Talkman and it was center someone and, from, um, from, um, River Ave blues. And it explains why they're shutting down. Cause that was just like, completely yeah, just like right there. Uh, Mike that actually com- thinks that we should have signed Robertson instead of Britain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. See ya. I mean, Robertson has been worse in, in Philly. Exactly. But, it's exactly. It's the point. I mean, here's the thing about the guy who said that that Frazier should have been in center and Talkman and left. If you he can't even play left, that, he can't play center. No, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. Though, if you flip up that defensive alignment, if you center, both Gardner and Talkman are top seventy sprint speed guys. So Talkman is just as fast. You know, very comparable about. I think it's 28 point something feet per second. It's very, very comparable here. Um, the new numbers aren't out yet because they haven't had enough um, what they call batted ball events to um, measure the next uh, numbers for this year. But I don't know. I think that could end up happening soon. It's just so frustrating. Gardner can't keep leading off. And, and that's the thing. I almost don't mind him in the lineup, but I just, just not yeah, at one. At nine. 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 Yeah. Somewhere, like, some, somewhere seven through nine, please. But like, Bat, um, Glaber, who can even lead off? No, DJ yes, lead off. Lemayu. No, Lemayu. Uh, yeah, I get it, but like Glaber doesn't Lemayu. get on base enough for him to be a leadoff man, and he also like a slug. He can't be a leadoff. Well, the thing about Glaber is, I'd I'm so him, torn. Like, I'm so torn. You know what I mean? There are some at bats where I see him spoil six pitches and then walk. I think or that's spoil part of being six a young pitches. Hitter. And poke a ball to right. No, he's going to be so good. 
Exactly. Like, the problem he's still is, young. it's not he's even not a problem. He's yet. still he's so good now. He's twenty two, right? There's clearly a ceiling mm. that he hasn't reached. Um, oh yeah. But there's some stuff like it, he, you know, he was coming up to the plate after a guy had a four pitch walk, a pitch not even near the strike zone. He swung at the first pitch and grounded out, like stuff like that. Yeah, you can't do like, that. He, yeah, and so that's. And I think in I those, feel, that I feel like DJ smarter. DJ wouldn't do and that. That just that just comes with the experience, though, because the thing, the fact of the matter is, when you watch Glaber Torres, you can tell he's twenty two. You uh-huh. can tell he is someone who is in, you know, as soon as maybe next year, or the year after, he might be a top five. You know, he probably will be a top five middle infielder, whether he sticks at shortstop or whether he ends up second base full time. Um, so. The thing about it is, does he progress in his plate discipline to the point to bat leadoff? And I think he does Can, eventually. The thing is, I I'm not. No, yeah, no I'm sorry. No, good. No, it's not. Uh, about my, this. My, it's my, about I was almost done with my point, but um, it's about the socks. But um, I just see so much about what he can do that um will translate well to the leadoff spot. He just needs to get a little more consistent. Um, uh, in his at bats, and um, that's something that can um, work really well in his favor. And the thing about it is, he's been he, you know, drafted uh, not drafted, but signed internationally as a shortstop. Worked as a shortstop through the Cubs system. Came to the Yankees. Worked his way up to AAA as a shortstop. Um, when he was in AAA, the year that um, Chase Headley was awful, that was when they started to rotate him. Um, with the idea that he would get reps at third base, shortstop, second base. And Brian Cashman even admitted before they made the big trade to get um, David Robertson, Tommy Canely, and Todd Frazier that if Glaber hadn't had that bad slide that um, tore the UCL in his non-throwing arm, that Glaber Torres likely would have been called up to play third base. Can you imagine uh, what that like? How different that season would have been. Miguel Andujar would be on the Pittsburgh Pirates, and we'd have Garrett Cole. To be honest with you, that's how that would have gone. Yes, I think Cashman would have been have, able to do that. We would have but, had no thumbs up or thumbs down. Rather, we would have had mm, Glaber, and who knows? Who knows what he would have been? I mean, he twenty. No, that's what was, I think. Well, I, I mean, I don't think. I know we would have gotten more. Um, uh, fucking what's the word? Uh, production from third base. Late in that season, right. like, I mean, Frazier was, was the thing uh, about Frazier is the thing about Frazier is you, you kind of had to be patient with his weird hitting style he where he clutch, hit though, too. but with yeah, that was the thing is he, he was, came up a lot of times in the big moment. Yeah, I mean, the thing about it is, you know, he rotated and he's, you know, he's been the second baseman. He's playing shortstop now. And it's interesting because. um when the Yankees signed Troy Tulowitzki to play shortstop this offseason with Gregorius Hurt, another another guy <laughs> that they were tied to is Freddie Galvis, who just homeward to give the Blue Jays uh, a 6-5 lead in their uh, game at Fenway right now off Ryan Brazier. Um, He's 4-4 four four as well. 4-4. Four four four. Um, it's not bad. I, I like Freddie Galvis as a guy that the Yankees trade for, to be honest with I you. I do, too. I do, too, a lot. I like He's it. He's cheap. He's a, only a five million dollar luxury tax hit. He's on a he's on a, a guaranteed contract for this year with a club option for next year, which is really friendly to the idea of, um, 
keeping him through spring training and just seeing what happens because he's um, a very, very capable defender. And I think he can play third, second and short, which is a great place to have insurance, as I'm sure you know, as a Yankees fan now, um, watching all the stuff that. Right. I mean, the Yankees were lucky enough, you know, they had insurance for Tulowitzki getting hurt, and that was LeMahieu. They didn't have insurance, obviously, for two starting infielders getting hurt because no one does. No one has MLB caliber starters ready. Yeah, because it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not smart to do that. Uh, quite you, you just can't, you can't just harbor major league players in the minors just in, in case somebody gets hurt. And you can't, you know, we don't have 10 man benches in the MLB. Right. No, it doesn't work like that. It's a 25 man roster for a reason. I've drafted. You know, all that stuff happens to get players moving because if if it looks like there's someone who's good enough to play in the bigs in your organization, they should get an opportunity. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, they could look at Galvis, they could look at Justin Smoke, especially because they've been I love, using, I love the idea they've been using Justin, Justin Smoke as a DH now. Justin Smoke has moved into Kendris Morales's um, and Rowdy Telez is playing first base full time, which sort of has the same look as um, when the Yankees played the Blue Jays towards the end of spring training and Kevin Pilar was playing right field. And you're kind of like, huh, why is that? And it was because they were trialing Randall Gritchick center because they knew they wanted to trade Pilar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they want to showcase uh, or, or give Telez the opportunity to be the starting first baseman in order to get smoke out of town is my opinion because yeah. I think smoke is yeah. still one of their highest paid players. He's in fact, their highest paid um, player that they're planning on. You know, they, I don't think he's much in their plans at this point because he's a pending free agent. Their next highest paid player after that is Randall Gritchick, who they just signed to an extension. Yeah. So you know, whether he deserved it or while. not, um, I, I, I don't think he did. It's all another story. issue. Exactly. But I mean, if you, don't include the fact that they're paying $19 million for Troy Tulowitzki to be hurt on the Yankees. Um, Justin Smoke is their next highest paid player. I How much like is Smoke making this Yankee? year? He's making $8 million. That's, That's not, not bad. bad. I mean, I, I think the Yankees a three-year deal. And it would be pro-rated, yeah, too. Pro-rated. Let's say they waited like a month and then traded for him. I think it depends, though, because I think you look at your sample sizes and you look at, at trends in the hitters. Um, Smoke isn't doing much better than anybody on the, you know, he's hit 214, which isn't he was fantastic hurt, in comparison. Yeah, he, he did miss some time, but I mean, you kind of have to look at, there's some, I mean, Luke Voigt is on, uh, this might make John a little unhappy, but he's on a six-game hitting streak. We had a discussion no, about hitting streaks. I like streak him earlier. a lot. Um, no, I like no, him a lot. I'm talking about we talking about hitting streaks. <laughs> oh, oh but, um, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's on a six-game hitting no, streak. No, I'm not upset during, about that. During which he's batting two twenty-two games in the year. It's not in the off-season. There's no games that you can get a no for in the off-season. Mm, exactly. Games. There's um, no games that you can get a uh, hit either. Right. So the streak continues. Um, it shouldn't though. But okay, let's continue. Uh, <laughs> so you almost it feels like you know people get on the Yankees oh Cashman's not doing anything blah 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 um, but you kind of have to let let guys get going because I'm pretty sure at this point 
smoke actually has a lower OPS um, than Greg Bird. It's not good. There's no way, though. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm gonna have to. I'm not gonna doubt you, but like I want to fact check. Yeah, actually, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm double checking it now. The OPS is close. Bird has a higher batting average, but a lower OPS. Yeah. Um, well, what about on base? I feel like Bird is actually up there. I feel like he does like get he's on base. He's a 353 so on base. About him, like he does have a good eye. I'll the say that about with, Bird. The problem with yes. it is, he, I mean, he is a higher on base than um than Voight. The Voight has had a little more. He's had more hits, but you know, on base is is considered more important. More important. Justin Smoke has the lowest on base of three of them. Um, you know, he's a walk and a hit tonight, and that number is subject to change. But what about his glove? That care about that, honestly, too. Um, he's not I, that great, I assume, right? He's if not at or very close to replacement level, he's very most likely below. Yeah, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's um particularly fantastic. He's oh oh dear, um he's not great. I'll put it that Mm -hmm. way. Um, Doesn't really surprise me, but it would have been nice. I just want to actually good there. I miss Tex in that standpoint. He could scoop anything. Well, the interesting thing is if you look at if you look at um first baseman. That, that qualify there was Matt Olson who had the highest defensive war in 2018 among first basemen was still under replacement level hmm. so yeah. like maybe it's just a bad I don't know it, no there's just years where the position isn't good you can see it with catching in the major in all, basically all throughout major league baseball yeah like when um, Perez he made all those all-star games Right. And and all that stuff. I mean, if you set the the qualifying number to um smoke. Where is he? Is he not even on the first page? He's the twenty-first out of twenty-nine in terms of defensive rating in all of the big leagues with at least five hundred innings in the field. So behind him is Chris Davis, Carlos Santana, Paul Goldschmidt, Ian Desmond, Jose Abreu, Ryan Healy, Eric Hosmer. Eric Hosmer was the second worst first baseman in the league. That's really funny because he's probably the highest paid first baseman in the league last year. Um, but um, not only would, would getting another player in be a sort of a shot in the arm in that way, but um, the rotation ends up getting something back with with CC Sabathia coming back into the fold he's um he's making his his um season debut in the second game of the series um he follows Jay Happ who will start the first game against um last year's worst qualified pitcher in baseball Lucas Giolito uh then it's um familiar face Ivan Nova against Sabathia Saturday 105 um, Friday night's game is seven oh five, and then one oh five, the fourteenth. It's Carlos Rodon going for the White Sox, and then um, the website for the Yankees is listing to be determined. However, I'm fairly certain it's Tanaka going. 
Mm-hmm. Or it might be Hermann, actually. Um, okay. I, I'm going to be honest. If we don't sweep that series, I'm going to be pretty pissed. Yeah, that's reasonable. Just quite simply, I, like, I'm, I'm going to be pretty pissed. I don't necessarily go into series expecting sweeps because that's a bit unrealistic sometimes. But, like, I, I don't know, like, after losing three and go back home and you play a team as desolate as the White Sox and it's just like, all right, like, can we please just yeah. get back on track? And like, I mean, <sighs> yeah, I think, I think, I think that's the right time for it to sort of happen. I, I mean, the White Sox are still at the point where they thought they might, you know, have a, a, a splash like Machado or Harper to have that sort of spark turn around for their team. But like, Giolito's ERA is over five. Nova's is over seven. And Radon is the only one with something decent on their staff. So, you know, they, the Yankees have to come in capitalizing and I'm sure they're coming in a bit pissed off after what happened in Houston. And so now is an opportunity for them to try to get going a bit because of the Red Sox come into town for two games after that. And they want to be only two. It's a, it's a two game series. Um, Oh, and then it probably carries over and then two games are made, not made up, but like, Finished off, I guess, in London. Is it like it that? It might be, uh, yeah. Well, they play. I don't think so. I think it's just like. In London, they play two like games. A, yeah, yeah, I know it's to be in London, but like, is it just like a, a stupid series? It, it, it must balance out eventually. They must have a two game series in Boston at some point. Yeah. It so technically the, you know what? Technically, the London series is, is Boston. Boston. Are home yeah. games for Boston. So that Which must is be nice. what it is. Oh, that, yeah, that's great. But here's the, way, here's the way it, it goes for the Yankees. They play three against Chicago. You know, the White Sox weren't really destined for much. The Red Sox come in for two. You should they play the Royals for four. Also not destined for much. You should this win right three now. there. You should. Wait, just take three out of four from the Royals at least. Hopefully split with the, the Red, Red Sox. Sox. You kind of, two, two game series are crapshoots. You know, you never yeah, know exactly. how that's going to yeah, go. They're, yeah, they're they, should, they should at least... At the very least, two out of three from the White Sox. They should beat yeah. up on Giolito and Nova. No and more Rodone. than Rodone, three Rodone, You know, the thing about Carlos Rodon is sometimes he's fantastic when he locates, but the problem is he walks a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. And so the way that that ends up working itself out is that um, obviously the Yankees walk a ton to the point where people kind of complain that they walk too often, which is a stupid complaint to have. But... I mean, they they should be able to take advantage of of that kind of um, pitcher just because it, they more base runners is better just without question. And whether yeah, it comes, to I, I think that's a pretty uh, agreeable conclusion. Yeah, obviously, more base runners is better. I mean, last year Giolito had the second highest walk percentage of any pitcher in baseball. Tied with Sean Newcomb and Julio Tehran, both the Braves. James Shields, <laughs> free agent legend, was 14th highest. So they definitely have, you know, the opportunity to really come in there and, and take care of business, have an off day, take on Boston, who's been reeling, and they can really smack them, basically, two games and then move on to the Royals, who aren't really going anywhere either and then they go out west but that's that's, oh, a, that's I'm not subject excited for, another, for that that's subject for another podcast what date, because they go what out date does that start the 22nd 
22nd through May 1st. Is that after uh, Easter? Uh, yes. Oh, that's the Monday after Easter until May 1st? Jesus Christ. Yeah, they go to Anaheim, San Francisco, then Arizona. Then they have an off day, and then they welcome, then they play Minnesota and Seattle. Then they go to Tampa, and then they come home again. Um... Ronald Acuna went deep. Just want to say that because that's my MVP pick. You know, oh, what's he hitting now? Two hundred five. Probably he's working his way up there. His um, BABIP has been tough, so it has been. He'll probably even wrong. out. Way too good. He's a good enough player. It'll work itself out. Yeah. Um, Four sixty-two. It's not bad. Two sixty-two now. So yeah, that's not bad at all. That'll close even it, out. Close, it, probably, close enough though. Yeah. Two hundred five. Um, yeah, I mean. 205 is closer to 262 than 400 is, so. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, um, I'm not saying that proves anything. I'm saying that it's mathematically well, correct. <laughs> we'll go with that. And I just owned um, you, liberal. That wasn't the point either of us were making. <laughs> um. All right, here's a question for you. Question. Mm. Completely unrelated. <laughs> But it just came into my head. Buy or sell Aaron Boone's comments following the sweep. The whole turning the corner. Sell, sell, close, sell, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Sell. He says the same thing after every game. He's a fraud. He says the same thing after every game. It's predictable. I'm, not, I'm tired of it. I, I don't care. I'm, I'm just, I'm tired of it. JP? Um, you know... <laughs> As a fan, I'd say sell just because it it sounds like, like I don't know. Aaron Boone is the same guy after a win, and and I know that pisses a lot of people off. He doesn't, you all know, he's not and sunshine walking, all the time. He's That's, not walking up to the podium being like, "Yeah, we fucking suck tonight." Like the, he oh, doesn't. That's my thing. He doesn't have that mindset, and I also think, to a certain degree, he doesn't want to go to the press and be like trashing players or, or anything exactly. like that. Of course. I, I just don't There's, understand how people can and can people can yeah people can reasonably expect a manager of a baseball team, one that's destined for so much success, to go up to the podium after a game and and just start shitting on the team. Like do you really the people that I see on Twitter saying that like they're tired of the comments, like I get it. I get it. It's tiring. And like I don't want to hear him say the same thing again. But like at the same time, I would much rather him I would, yeah, much rather him, you know, show that he has a shred of confidence in the team than, uh, like, go up to, you know, go up to the to the stand after the game and say, oh, yeah, you know, this team fucking sucks and all this stuff. And, like, that doesn't, that doesn't instill confidence in the team. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't inspire players, doesn't inspire anybody. If and, I was a fan of a team and I heard my manager say that, after, pissed off. I'm saying, why am I wasting you- my fucking time? Watching you manage this team, if you're just going to go and say that they suck. If yeah. I listen to my manager and he says, oh, I have a lot of faith in these guys. They're talented players. They're, they're just they're not there not, right now. Yeah, they're, they're not there right now. They're injured. They're making errors. He even said it's not people cherry pick out like the, the oh, we're close. We're turning the corner. He went on to say that they're obviously not playing to the extent to the caliber that they can right now. Like he's not it's not like he's completely omitting these things, but it's like, just aggravating as a fan. <laughs> That's no, all you know, I what's mean. aggravating is and the you can't loss. Say it's and not aggravating. I can't say. All right, then I don't. No, no, no. Okay, well, I mean, if you 
before I get out the, the sarcastic murders. No, 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 no. It's what's aggravating is the loss, and then the manager's not, you know, coddling everybody to bed and saying, "Oh, it's gonna be all right." And you know, he essentially seems saying, to be though. No, he's not. He's doing the exact opposite. If everyone's so fucking mad about it, you know, if 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 we lose three in a row to a team that we would hope to beat, and that we're probably gonna see in the playoffs. Who would it like? Uh, everybody's mad. Oh, he thinks this team is so good. They just lost three in a row. Blah blah blah. And then what do you want? Like if you say that they, if you expect them to go out there and say that they fucking suck, that's coddling people. That that that's that's what that I would be mad about. Is if he's saying things that like people just want to hear. It's not a reality that the team fucking sucks. People are mad that he seems disingenuous. That he seems this and that. Okay, what would you rather do? Say that they fucking stink. And have them lie to your face. I also think that are extremely capable baseball players, MVPs, rookies of the year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They don't stink. They're having a bad game. They had a bad stretch. And also look at you just kind of have to look at what's going on. I mean, when you have Stanton, who won an MVP in the last two years, Hicks, who is a top five center fielder in baseball. Aaron Judge, um, who has won an MVP Severino, in the last two years. You know, even, well, you know, I'm talking about guys who aren't even there, there to contribute. I mean, you started um, Paxton, who's good and should have pitched better. Loisaga, who is young to the point where it's great experience for him, but you can't expect much. And Tanaka, who pitched his heart out, you know, the pieces kind of have to fall into place. But at the same time, you have Clint Frazier, who's not proven yet and is still a yeah, raw he's not player exactly in, the in, left, in left field either i mean like right i mean he still has a lot to, to learn we have to temper our expectations for the, the personnel that we're trotting out and also due to the fact that there's injuries and i mean that i kind of repeated myself but like we are in a in a pretty desolate uh in uh, uh scenario right now or, or situation and People have to realize that. And the manager isn't lying by saying that he thinks the team is close. Well, like, right, because think, they may think he's it's, a, it's a couple. It, the crazy thing is it's an offense that's down so many players that produced a result so close to what everyone was expecting, because you obviously know that fans have the expectation that every game is going to end 10 to three and there's going to be you know, home runs, big hits and all that stuff and, you know, dominant pitching to a certain degree. But but the reality obviously divulges from that, that fantasy. And the thing about it is I, I agree with what you're saying that he's not wrong to say that they're close because, you know, the game where the, uh, the, the difference in the game was a slow roller to first base. What are they supposed to do about that? Ottavino got yeah. soft contact and it just if that's sucked not close. It was I don't know what no is. man's land. That's no man's land, you know? And, um, you, you, you know, a lot of it is the inability to, you know, they say you can't predict baseball and it's true. I mean, the thing about it also is with, especially with reliever stats, they get so inflated so easily. But when you get to the end of the year and you look at someone like Zach Britton or Adam Ottavino, if they don't have a zero, at some point and that might have been in april against the astros it's mm-hmm. just it's hard to to say you know oh i saw people saying oh chad green has an era over seven it's because he's terrible now and britain is so bad he's a fraud you know or chad- it's because he's pitched eight innings in the entire season 
we have a right. that every, every run versus every third of an inning is a plus or minus in the ERA department. That's just how it works. And so I, I can see how it can bother bother you when you look at it. But at the same time, he's not saying it for us. He knows his team is listening. He knows that they read and 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 listen and that they are tuned into the public thoughts because there's a at least a, a decent share of what he says to the media that ends up being true to his message to the team. But it also sort of sets the table for what he says in the clubhouse. You know, I think that that is important to sort of weigh public Aaron Boone versus private Aaron Boone. I think one of the things is like you kind of got the sense that Joe Girardi to the media, same guy as, you know, in game in clubhouse with the players, Girardi, there wasn't really much that you were missing. And so the same assumption carries over to Aaron Boone that he is the same always, you know, always looking up, always looking for the next best thing guy with the team. And so people, you know, oh, the team isn't disciplined because Boone never tells them that they're bad. He just says, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. we have hidden cameras in the fucking clubhouse. That's my right. thing. It's like people don't understand that there's like he can be a different person out, you know, when the camera's not on his face. Like, and one of, one of the things he's prioritized, you notice when he talks to the, you know, say, you know, I remember this from the beginning of spring training, um, they had that he had his first press conference and there was a huge deal about, you know, him talking to the media for the first time. One of the questions he was asked was, you know, have you addressed the team yet? What have you said? And he said, you know, I, I've talked to them and that was all he wanted to say. He did not want to, you know, he's not wrong. Right. But people you know, are going to interpret that. And like that, that's the thing with. Yankees fans and the New York media and just people in general is like when you give I don't blame him at all for giving those type of answers but like when you give something that could be left up to so much interpretation like yeah I talked to them or yeah we're close there's just so much that people can do with that and right, it, exactly. it leads to these bastardized interpretations of the manager's work and when you give somebody three words to work with it's like people are going to fit it to whatever narrative they want well, right. Like, especially so people that can, are mad, people that are mad and like to be miserable and stupid are going to say, oh, he doesn't care. He, he's not going to discipline them. He thinks they're good enough right now. So he's going to be complacent. He's not going to do anything to fix this. Somebody who is a little bit more optimistic is going to say, oh, he thinks they're close. Like they're working to fix it. And it's going to get better because they're close. They don't need to make any drastic adjustments. They can the reality succeed is, with this team, which is more true than it is not. Which is exactly. It's not that far from the truth. I mean. A couple balls fall differently and a little more, you know, tightness on the defensive side. And there's probably different results. And maybe if someone like Gardner or Stanton is playing left instead of Frazier, a more polished defender, and someone like Hicks is in center, you know, there's a, a, a change in fortune, especially just because there were multiple, you know, plays in the second game of that series where... Frazier misplayed it and left and it turned into doubles that ended up scoring. So that's, I mean, I, to a certain degree, that's kind of what close means. Yeah. You know, no, there was a losing a game by, by a dribbler ground ball down the first baseline is close. Losing a game because Jose Altuve's double got turned run is close. Like, I don't know what people don't understand. 
Is he lying? Like, did we lose these games by eight? Did I miss something? Did I turn no, it off too early? Just because he says the same stuff after like every game. What do you want game, him to do? No Change his fucking score. tune? I mean, they're they're an I mean, organization. They have to have something else. Same. Of, I don't of know what structure. to say. But he just says the same stuff. It's literally the same line well, after Eddie. Because oh, yeah, Joe Girardi didn't have the same line for ten years. I don't think he's wrong. I'm not saying I don't think he's um um wrong. I think he's um I don't know. It's just I also it's just think I also think because it's a, a lot combination of, being, of the law. Like I don't know. It's it also ends up being the coverage though. Like I I've read the full quote a couple different times, and, and you know we're close is is sort of. And we're going to turn the corner and, and all that stuff is just, you know, it's only part of it. It's only, um, it's not the main message to a certain degree. I mean, um, and so what that ends up being, um, you know, he said, there's no doubt in my mind we'll get this baby rolling. You know, he said, I feel we're I feel like we're close to breaking out and the guys that needed to step up to some degree have and are getting some opportunities right now. And that's like Clint Frazier has been hitting well recently. Um, you know, Lo Isaac pitched well, Joe Harvey pitched well. Um there was some stupid stuff that happened, like Guardy not running out the bunt and everything. But you know, he obviously I think he said to a certain degree, um, we're not playing at the level that we're supposed to be. He said, you know, Boone said, I feel like we're prepared. I feel like they're focused. I love that they're competing. Um, and so he knew, he knows that they've made mistakes and that, you know, they're going to transition into a point where they're playing better baseball soon. We'll head into our final portion of tonight's show. We'll get into two DMS that we received first from Andrew who asks who do you guys think misses more who well, hold on who do you guys miss more right now hicks because of how we saw the outfield play this week or stanton because of how important his bat is to this lineup Oof. honestly i'd say like hicks because our offense has been fine i mean i'll say hicks yeah it's the offense i, I, mean, it's I, been I would okay. i would tend to agree Like, I'm not gonna, I, I would tend to agree, but like in the case of Stanton, I, I think just the difference of having him in the lineup over Greg Bird, which is essentially what it is because he's usually DHing him or Luke Voigt. But the difference between Greg Bird and Giancarlo Stanton, I think, is bigger. It's tremendous. Than that of Brett Gardner and Aaron Hicks. Oh, yeah. like, we've, seen, we've seen very obvious mistakes in the field between Gardner and. Um, Frazier in the past few games that have led to, you know, not good they stuff. They stick out more. Yeah, yeah. There's it's no easier doubt about to. That. It's like it's easier to to point out Clint Frazier misplaying two balls in left field than it is to point out Greg Bird striking out four times in a game. And also, Which I think ideally, John Carlos Sam wouldn't have done. The impacts are also really interesting to measure because Hicks is a very different hitter than Stanton, and Hicks. You know, Hicks is the center fielder and that pushes Gardner or whomever is playing left, you know, pushes Gardner out of center, which is significant because Hicks is a better center fielder, in my opinion. Um, and it, you know, puts a much better, higher quality leadoff hitter. And it's going to drive me crazy if if Hicks comes back and he doesn't lead off 
you know, most games because that's just stupid. Um, he will, but but at the same time, you know, Stanton Stanton is such a dynamic player, and the problem that that exists is there is so many expectations that he is going to be. You know, we we said it last episode, but you know, the Hall of Fame celebrates guys who fail seventy percent of the time, and <laughs> Stanton is a good player. There's no way you can get around that. And there are people who Yankee fans run away, but right. They demonize a guy who hit 38 home runs last year, playing most of the year on a bad hamstring. Like, I mean, yeah, it drives me crazy. It drives what they do. It's just what the Yankee fans do. It's just how we are. Well, I know, but I love Stan. I, I, I think he's, you know, easily. If he not, helps the team, even though some, they think he doesn't, he does help the team. it's, It's just because. Because he had a bad like, just, postseason. Yeah. It's his first time in the postseason. It was also like, a sample size thing. You could take it was what five games, six games, sixteen at is twenty five at best. It's not. It's not an um against the team that ended up winning it all, partially behind great pitching that shut down good hitters. I mean, you see how how good the Dodgers are playing right now. You know, it's, it's not, not a coincidence. <laughs> You're right. I don't want to. Not- I don't want to put a wrench in your narrative, but they did just get swept in a four-game series. Right, but their offense has been. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I'm fine. Just, they scored seven runs today. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Their, around. their pitching was terrible. That's. I mean, that's a whole different story of, of having good hitting, but then having your pitching screw you over. And I think really the the thing that we should focus on with this DM is that the fact that we even have to ask ourselves this question: Which would you rather have back? Inferring that yeah, right. you're, you're, you're starting your starting center fielder or your starting left fielder DH. Yeah, like, like both of those really are good. neither is an ideal situation. So yeah, I, I will take both, but I think if I could only have one, and this is how it sounds weird because you think Stan's a better player than Aaron Hicks. I mean, I don't think it takes a genius to figure that one out, but like you know. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I think, think right I think now you're something there. outfield defense is at a premium. Yeah. Exactly. That's the so way. So that's it. what drives the Aaron Hicks thing. Yep. Definitely. And he's not a bad enough hitter by any means. No, he's a good hitter. He's yeah, he's, he's, he's an active he's a good hitter. Exactly. Uh, we'll move on to our second and final DM coming from the um, good friend of the show at J Cup. LOL. He, who asks, with the Albies contract, of course, referring to the extension that uh, Atlanta Braves second baseman Ozzy Albies um, agreed to today. Oh. Um, do you believe the prospect of a player strike grows by the day? And I think it's more more likely a- as we go. Just seeing, you know, way, way, way under market. He gave away four free agent years. Yeah. And he's getting four. a five million dollar. Yeah, and he's a top 10 second baseman, a switch hitter, a plus defender, fast, good base runner, yeah, a good base runner, like plus, he had his plus in every facet of the game at a young age. Yeah. And at 22 and years old, he was old. an all-star last year. His first full year he was an all-star. Right. Mm. And so I just, he, got, it, it, least, he didn't sign for a big bonus. Years. Here's here's the thing. I saw an interesting perspective on it. Both he and Acuna did not sign for a big bonus 
And so to a certain degree, especially given the way that minor league players are compensated and the way that the financial structure works for players in their early careers is that he clearly did not feel comfortable betting on himself the way, you know, Mookie Betts has been pretty clear that he is not signing an extension in favor of getting more guaranteed money now, which is what, you know, what, you know, players who sign um, extensions before being close to free agency are obviously sacrificing their full market value in order for the guarantee. And I mean, the thing about it is Albies is making 5 million. He's making a million dollars this year and will be making 5 million all the way through basically until 2025, which is I just can't ridiculously under market for him. And like, I, I get like, I had my little learning with like Alex Bergman's contract and like those guys like buying out arbitration years and all this stuff. Right. But like, this is ridiculous for There's free no agent years. Four There's free no agent years at $5 million a year plus second baseman. A guy who can hit you 280 as, with plus defense and plus base running from second base and, and switch he, hit. I think, I think the club options are $7 million with a $4 million buyout. So it's not like he's got a ton of earning power on the backside. And the reality of it is those club option years are prime free agent years that the club controls. Like he... he you know, he 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 was talking in his press conference about how it wasn't for money. It's you know he's playing with his best friend, referring to Acuna. Um, I get it, but like uh, he would have absolutely made more than five million. Situation. It's my God. He's a he's a fifteen to eighteen to twenty million dollar a year player if he waits until free agency and keeps us up and improves. He, because like, he's so young, his clock has been going for a so while young, now. And he brings just about everything to the table that Gleyber Torres brings, except and he adds a little bit of base running and a switch. Yeah, and the speed. Like, yeah. I, I think Gleyber's a better player, but they are cut from the same cloth, essentially. Middle, you know, plus middle infielders, young. But, like, I, I, I just don't Glaber's understand. Short, but, yeah. But, yeah, I mean... It's it's mind blowing to me that that there was somebody who told him to sign that contract. Like, who was his agent? Who was his agent? Maybe like the other half of the contract was just sworn over to the agent. If we're being honest, like, and we actually—I don't think we actually answered Cup's question, but like, I don't know if I would say it goes up by the day, but after today. I would yeah, say well, I let's get ready for no for no baseball in 2021. Yeah, this is bad. This is it's enjoy, hard it while you, the, enjoy it while it lasts because we're going to see about it. it is, here's the the problem is the players' association only represents major league players, and there's nothing about the minor leaguers. So they've oh, always that's, always that's always despicable. been willing. It's terrible because you know what it does. They've always been willing to negotiate away the rights of the minor league players in favor of concessions. You know, um, caps on draft pick bonuses and caps on international spending were all given away by the players association because it doesn't matter to the major league guys. They don't care. Yeah. And you want to know what the worst part of this is? The worst part is that the MLB probably has the best players association of the four major sports in America. I would not. I I, I think that's a pretty safe assumption and we still have so many problems. Like I'm not, I'm not Karl Marx. Like, I, like, I don't, you know, I'm not going to go diving into labor laws and stuff, but the fact that like a major or a minor league baseball player rather can spend so much of their time 
And like you, you're, you're, you're I, I, I don't even like. I'm, they're like, not fairly compensated. No, they're That's not fairly compensated. I'm, I'm tired and drunk, so I'm fumbling over my words. But like, this is ridiculous. And like, obviously, MLB is is among the top or at the top in terms of representing its players in a business sector. Like MLB sucks at other stuff, but they do this pretty well. We've seen guys, you know, you don't make $400 million in, in a market. That's not good for your players, but right, absolutely. You know, that that's one of the things that MLB excels at, but like Mike Trout, his contract isn't the problem. No, it, it's these other guys. Always get paid. The upper exactly. echelon players always get paid. They've never been. It's like, and, and the thing is, the Neil there's, Walker people, type. there's people like Curtis Granderson, who is an above average hitter who had a minor league deal. Yeah. Like, speaking oh, of Curtis Granderson, he's going to turn into a very, very good player representative in the MLB PA when he retires. Eventually. He, he is going to go, if not to the dugout to coach or to the, uh, to the broadcast booth, he's going he to go straight. He is going to go straight to the Players Association. And I think he is one of those guys that is just so smart and so wise and so like has such a fundamental understanding of the game and of being a player. He's very articulate. Like I, I don't want to sound like this is the Curtis Granderson fan club, but it's the Curtis Granderson fan club. I love yeah, that man. I, yeah. And like, you yeah, know, he's, he's great, great on the Yankees and all stuff, but he, he is he's still a productive player and he had to sign a minor yeah. league contract to bring training advice. Carlos Gonzalez, like, minor league contract. Der- guys like Derek Dietrich, who's not like, he's, you know, he's not a phenomenal player. He's, he's not an useful. MVP. But he plays like five positions, and he's obviously a good player. And he's signed he a minor decent league power from the left a bad side. team, nonetheless. Curtis right, Granderson signed a minor league team or a minor league deal with the Marlins. Like, right, a bad team. And so, I like, think what that ends off? up, what the, what the, you know, the problem is never people who who point to the the health of the market um, based on guys like Bryce Harper, Manny Machado. While Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell are still on the market, who are arguably the three and four of the top four free agents, when you have Harper, Machado, Keuchel, Kimbrell, order them how you wish, but two of them are still out there. That draft pick compensation is worse and worse by the day. Yeah. Um, that you know that looks terrible, but also at the same time, you know, a draft pick is such a hypothetical thing, but it means a lot to teams. And at the same time, you know, it, they, they're going to have to really overhaul the system because if teams are willing to, you know, the, the idea used to be you're a really good young player, you make a decent amount of money, and then when you get to, you know, age 28 to 32 ish, you sign a big free agent deal that, that compensates you for what you did. And you end up, you know, making the money and you break even after all. And now teams are getting smart to the fact that they don't want to pay. For you know, age thirty-five, when if you were a two-ninety hitter at one point, you're going to hit two-thirty and not be the same guy. They obviously don't want to pay for what you did two, you know, two, three, four, five years ago. It just doesn't work that way. And so, what they're going to have to do is completely overhaul the system to the point where it actually fairly compensates these guys for what they've done at an actual, you know, arbitration doesn't doesn't pay them fairly. It just doesn't. And no, so eh. that's what they're going to have to fix because Ozzy Albies was clearly afraid of, of hitting free agency. Yeah. And I understand. And I'm not going to pretend to know all the nuances of the baseball business world because I don't like, I, 
I think that, you know, just being a person with a, like, you know, with a reasonable outlook on the world and with somewhat of an analytical outlook on the world, I can understand things and I can kind of grasp some of the, um, the landscape surrounding baseball and how these players are treated. But like, it, it doesn't take, it doesn't take like, I don't know, it was the best. It doesn't take Jordan Belfort as businessmen to realize that these players are being treated like unfairly. Well, it also like Acuna, not Acuna, um, Albies, Acuna also, of course, also signed the extension, but Albies had to agree to it. But the the thing about it is players are scared of becoming free agents after years and years where becoming a free agent was the best thing that could happen to you. Yeah, because you know your payday is coming and it's guaranteed and like, you know, everything is great and you're going to get to like, you have so much control over where you go and like how much you're making essentially and all these things. And it's just not the case anymore. Even if it is the case, the conception among the, across the league is that it isn't the And that's not a culture that you can create within Major League Baseball and expect a thriving fan base and a thriving players association and a thriving players even like that's just not something that you can expect when you create such a culture absolutely and so to close this up i mean the players are obviously going to demand that they're fairly compensated without question they should and they should they should they have every and, right and to the, and, and something you know hopefully led the they give their minor league players close to a 50 percent raise from rookie ball all the way up and that's a great start but they're still well, getting they're screwed actually, over. Yeah. I don't know if they'll be a strike, though. I mean, it's just because they're going to be enough guys like who like stop um, playing and stop um, getting paid. I don't think so. I just don't. I think it, it only takes a few high-profile guys that say, all right, this is ridiculous. Even if it's will, not guys that aren't getting paid, I, it's guys that look out for their teammates and for their peers. These are people. These guys are friends at the end of the day. Then, they don't want their friends. Yes, like, they don't, but you then know. they don't get paid. I mean, it's guaranteed contract. I thought well, if you, you know, know, guys are on guaranteed contracts. If, well, I would think if you like um picketed like that or like um that um that um you want to get paid. Well, they could you know argue that you should be put on the restricted list or something like that for not doing what you're there to do. But you know, th- there's a pretty clear path that you can envision where it sort of builds if there's another off season of good players staying on the market for as long as there are good players. Now, I mean, we're, we're what a couple, you know, 11, 12 games into the regular season and Dallas Keuchel, you know, not amazing, but above average left-handed starter, Craig Kimbrell, fantastic righty reliever, you know, these are good players who, who, you know, Gio Gonzalez, who wasn't, you know, he's not sung, but Gio Gonzalez is a solid, dependable lefty who could anchor the back of a rotation. And yeah, which is much more than a lot of teams have right now. Oh, exactly. Gio Gonzalez, you know, the, you, you saw the, the cut Dan Straley for nothing. And they could have they could have used Gio Gonzalez, whether he ends up being a player for them for the whole year is, of course, the hypothetical that we don't ever get to discuss because he didn't sign there. But, you know, that's what they're doing with Neil Walker. They might flip him mid year and they probably will see what they can get, you know, 
Because why not? Gary Denbo, who runs their farm system, is very good at identifying talent, and they'll figure something out. But you know, the the problem never resides with the top guys. They're never the problem. It, it it's the mid range. That's why Josh Donaldson signed like a month in. That was smart to like a him. record one year deal or something like that. He's making yeah. twenty four. You know, that's he he's you know, he's always been a pillow contract guy. Twenty three million, excuse me. But yeah, you get the point. Um, He's their highest paid player. For one year, and he's probably their best player, uh, arguably Acuna is, you know, they're apples and oranges because Donaldson is Donaldson is, you know, to a certain point, one of the better third basemen defensively. But, um, you know, hopefully things will look up for for the players as well as as for the Yankees as they head into this next stretch. Um, three against the White Sox, two against the Red Sox, and that's when you'll be hearing from us again. Uh, hopefully on a good note, because we have now recorded two straight The Yankees Stink podcasts, and I don't want to record another one for the foreseeable future. So, New York Yankees, if you're listening, please don't do this to me. At least win on Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights so we can record on a good note and I don't have to. Jesus Christ. Drop yeah, it'd be nice. I wished. No. You know, so we'll, yeah, we'll, please. We'll, we'll, anything, we'll, just win every Tuesday so I don't have to complain as much. Yeah. And so we don't have exactly. to have something positive to talk about. But I think there's, I think there, I think we're in a situation now that hope for the best play three, you know, three against the White Sox, two against the Red Sox, which is just their toss up games anyway. It always happens that way with Yankees, Red Sox, and then four against the Royals. And you're basically playing, you know, not exactly the class of the AL Central there. So now you should win easily. But with this right, team, you should be t- you should be winning those series. Of right now, yeah. With the state of this team. Lord knows if they if they, you know, just. It, it win sounds each stupid. series. That's all I can say. Just win the series. Yeah. If the Sox um, won. That I mean, just I mean, just take one because it's a two game. So two would be nice but, too. Yeah, I'll oh, take yeah, that. That'd be fantastic. But I don't expect to just because you know it's the Yankees. It's and the just Sox. hard. It's, it's, it's a two. It's a two game series. If, if there was a three game series and you know each team won, you know one of the first two games, it's sort of like all right, we'll play the third game and figure it out. But you know. Two game series, you never get the chance to win the series. It's either a sweep or a split. Exactly. So it, the expectations, you know, you know what? If, I don't, yeah, yeah, you can't really put too much stock into it. Well, you know, no. we'll figure it out when we get there, kind of things. But what they should be focusing on now, White Sox pitchers haven't been great, and that gives them the opportunity to to really tee off. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, like. With every Yankees win, and if they could string together a couple wins and always win on Thursday nights, that means happier core four podcast hosts. That means happier core podcast listeners. That means a more energetic and uplifting show. And, you know, I think just on a general basis, everybody likes to feel a little bit more uplifted, especially as a sports fan. It's nice. Especially every once in a while. You know, like, we're pretty used to it at this point, being Yankees fans, but... It's easy to get discouraged when success is the expectation, but you know, it's you know the sun doesn't shine twenty four hours a day, three hundred and sixty five days a year. So we're gonna lose games. People are gonna get injured. Shit happens. 
managers mess up, players mess up. But what doesn't happen is the hosts and the listeners of Corfo Podcast, they don't mess up. So keep listening, keep subscribing, retweet, DM, fucking call in, voicemails, all that good. Let us hear it. And thank you for listening as always. Go Yankees.